My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Super Jcast. I'm Joel. Not joined by David McDonald this week. It is David's birthday, and as a special birthday present to him, I told him uh, not to bother recording this uh, silly podcast for one week. So instead, a uh, special treat for you. We have the host of Wrestling Omakase. We've got John Carroll in the house. John, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been quite the week for me, Joel. I'm uh, appearing on the Super J cast. I'm getting replies from Tony Khan on Twitter. Just nonstop fun. Okay, right. Talk us through this. uh, It was actually quite funny. So I quote tweeted him, which what I thought was a kind of funny joke where I'm like, basically, it was something like, um, I was like 99.9% of the time, when people say Tony Khan's tweets are funny, they're just doing the, uh, you know, uh, another magnificent post, sir, like, you know, kissing the rich guy's ass. But this was the 0.1% of the time it was funny. It was because he used a Sopranos meme to like make fun of WWE and call him the, the Fed. I always pop for any time people call WWE the Fed, so I thought that was funny. And unfortunately, I typoed and wrote 0.01%. So nobody noticed this. People were liking the tweet and everything. No one even said anything. But he noticed it. So he replies back, what about the other 0.08%? And... Of course, and my... as, as as the maths coordinator of my school, I always respect a good maths joke. Yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you hit mute on that immediately. I hit mute on it. I hit mute on it immediately. I did quote tweet it and just say the and I said something like the other 0.08 percent is when you make fun of a random idiot on Twitter for not being able to do math, and you know trying to make fun of myself and go with it. And he just replied back with another like uh, Sopranos meme, which was like uh, which is funny because I'm actually rewatching the Sopranos right now. But anyway. Uh, it's like the, the arty character telling Tony, because you know, Tony, obviously, that I can't do math because I'm an artiste or whatever. So I think Tony Khan was having fun with it. It's not like he was like, you know, I'm not worried about the billionaire hiring a hit squad to take me out or anything. But yeah, this sounds like quite a, a good nature interaction. But his fans, of course, are out of their fucking minds. So I had to view no, both threads immediately. You surprised me. Yeah, so I had to view both threads immediately because people were just going completely insane. And one of them was like, one that got through right away was Defend like, the millionaire. Yeah, yeah. One of them that got through right away was like, oh, why you just take the L, fatty? And I'm like, buddy, 
Christ. How is me? How is me making relaxed, man? Yeah. How is me making fun of myself? Because this this were probably the second thread. I'm like, how is me making fun of myself for not being able to do math, not taking the L? Like, it's not like I quote tweeted Tony Khan and said, "Fuck you, you asshole." Like, I just I went along with the joke and made fun of myself. And this guy's like, "Take the L." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? I took the L." He's like, "Wow." Then why'd you mute the threads right away? I'm like, well, because because I'm getting I don't it's not because it's of people so, like you. Well, well, first of all, it's not really because of people like it's not just because like one guy called me fat on the internet. It's like, thank you. I can I have a mirror. I know I'm fat, but like, it's just because of the sheer volume of replies you're gonna get to anything he fucking tweets. It's like you think I want my mentions to be like you know, uh, Omega AW five two four two one, and I'm barely exaggerating. That's like one of the replies I got. One of the accounts that reply, like just for the next three days, being like, "Yeah, Tony, get him." I'm just like, "Okay, of course I'm muting the threads." Like, what do you want me to tell you? But I just thought it was funny. So it was. I would love to get quote tweeted from Tony. No, no, he just replied to me. He didn't quote tweet me. He replied. But people still people look at this guy's replies, of course. So you know, but uh, it was it was it was something. It was something. So at least I can always say, like for the rest of my life that I got a billionaire to, instead of doing the limitless number of things he could do at his leisure time, like almost literally limitless, he could do whatever he wants, he decided to reply to me on Twitter and correct my math. So that is, I feel ve- I feel weirdly accomplished that I got him to do that. So <laughs> it's like, like if I had a, if I had a fucking billion dollars, I think, I don't think I would be spending my time on Twitter replying to random idiots like, <laughs> 0.8%. So I'm like, just the fact that I got him to do that is just so absurd. To me. It's, there's something in my head. I'm just like, yeah, that's just so crazy that he actually bothered to take time out of his day. He could do anything. He could go, like, you had that kind of money. Obviously, you could do anything. And he's replying to me on Twitter. Just kind of fun. So Yeah, he's a chronic poster. And, <laughs> and, and I respect that, to be honest. It is kind of funny that he's such a chronic poster that he's still replying to people on Twitter as a billionaire and everything. But, and he has like five jobs, doesn't he too? Like where does he even find the time? Yeah. I wonder how the, uh, the Fulham fans are feeling about all this. <laughs> guy's supposed to be running their club. Is, he, uh, is Fulham any good or not? I don't even know. I don't know. I haven't paying attention. Chelsea's horrible. So I haven't been paying attention this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's, I, I was going to, I was going to talk about that because we did have a question. Someone's asking about Arsenal, but before I answer that question, you as a Chelsea fan, well, I say they're terrible. They got a, a good result midweek. I think they knocked Aston Villa out of whichever cup they happened to play. I wasn't paying attention. Fuck but them. Before that, they were they were they lost. Did they lose at home to Wolves four two or something? And the Wolves yeah. fans were singing "You're fucking shit," and then the Chelsea <laughs> fans started singing "We're fucking shit," which <laughs> is a, a brilliant piece of like uh, English football crowd culture. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, I haven't really been paying attention this season because it's like I, I mean, they're. I am a Chelsea fan, but like I'm kind of a fake Chelsea fan. I pay more attention when they're winning because it's like, you know, I have two hockey teams. I have a baseball team. They, they kind of get my majority of my sports fan attention. And obviously for an American, the games are on at weird times anyway. So it's like, you know, they kind of, it's easy to not pay attention when the team sucks, you know? Like it's really. There's a, <laughs> a lot of funny stuff going on at Chelsea at the moment. We've got like players' wives. Uh, doing uh, cryptic uh, cryptic tweets about the situation. Uh, we got players 
Um, McConnell Mudrick was arguing with someone on Twitter, I think, and saying, "Oh, you're you're no good at football. I'll, I'll pay you ten thousand pounds. Come and meet me on the streets, and I'll give you a lesson in football." Just like absolutely going off the deep ends, and, and all, all these guys complaining that they were kind of lured into false pretenses, signing these massive long term contracts, and they're like, "Oh, wait, this team's shit. What what am I doing here?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's the, it's the bill come and do, right? They never should have been as good as they were for as long as they were. So I got to see them win the Champions League a couple times. I can't complain. They want to be shit now. You can have fun. I might, my, it's always been my sports fan thing in general, by the way. It's like, because like the Kings, the LA Kings in hockey, won two Stanley Cups. They won a cup in 2012, and they won a cup in 2014. And my whole thing is like, you need to have like a 10-year moratorium minimum after you win a championship like that before you can really start benching. Because so many sports fans get nothing for their entire life. And it's like, you if you see your team win a championship, you are not allowed to complain about that team for like a minimum of 10 years. This year, after yeah. this season, I can start complaining about the Kings again. The Rangers, my other hockey team, they haven't won a cup since 94. they complaining full, you know, I can complain as much as I want about them. But the Kings, you cannot complain about them, you know, until 10 seasons have passed because it's like, you're getting like there's the Toronto Maple Leafs, as Damon well knows. <laughs> it's like they haven't won a cup since 1967. So those poor fans have seen nothing. They haven't even made it to a cup finals in 67. That's the part that I think really gets me. So it's like I don't know. So like you can't like once you once you see your team win a championship, you have to think of all the poor fucks out there who've seen nothing their entire lives and be like, you can't complain about your team for a long time, for quite a while. Just my opinion. Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel churlish sometimes complaining as an Arsenal fan. Like, we've not won the Premier League since 2004. I, I feel like, okay, so that's that's 20 years ago. Yeah, we've yeah. Probably do one now. Give, a, give us another one. I won't complain for another 20 years. If we win a, a European Cup, a Champions League, then I, I'll shut up forever. That, I, <laughs> I, can, I will die a happy man if, if we do that. But, I mean, who knows? We, so we had a Shingo reply guy uh, tweeting saying, is Arsenal going all the way? Because we got really good result, beat Liverpool. At the weekend, and, and no, I mean, of course, we're not going to win <laughs> Man City. Man City are going to do what they always do, which is just like rattle off fifteen straight wins and um, steamroller everyone. And probably not even going to be close. So, no, I'm, I'm under no pretenses about us us winning anything. But um, you got you have to enjoy these moments when they come along. Yeah, no, you definitely can complain. 2004 is long enough. I mean, that's 20 years. At that point, you're yeah, like, and that was the year we we won the league unbeaten, and no other team has, has done that in the, the Premier League. So there was like, how old would I have been then? So 2004 would have been like, I don't know, uh, about 16 years old. I was thinking, yeah, this is great. I could get used to this. Oh, you're back. You're, <laughs> I, I oh, you're like, like you're like two years younger than me. I didn't. I thought you were more younger than me than that for some reason. Uh, I'm yeah, 87. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wait, you were born in 87. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I was I was 86. So yeah, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought you were joking that you're 87. <laughs> so I'm sorry, <laughs> but no. Um, but yeah, the 80, I was born in 86. So yeah, I, I, for some reason, I, I thought you were like five years younger than me or something. I don't know why. Yeah. My my wish. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been a, a crazy few weeks, not just as a, a New Japan fan, but just wrestling in general. There's crazy shit happening all the time. Um, how are you about New Japan? About I'm, I'm, New Japan, I would say cautiously positive. I don't know. It's like you know, on one hand, it feels like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop because you know we we know this company has no money, and we know this company, uh, you know, can't spend money compared to these other American companies. So you're always kind of worried that they're going to lose people, but like, or lose more people, I should say. 
but like as far as the actual shows go, I've I mean all all these Corkins have been you know pretty great, I think. So like, and I'm pretty excited for you know not the entire card in Osaka, but at least a few matches in Osaka. And you know both the Sapporo shows look interesting. And after that, we hit the you know one of my favorite times of year where you get the anniversary show and the New Japan Cup and Sakura Genesis. So like, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling good. It's not like I'm feeling. I'm not like jumping for joy. And plus also the Chicago show, which I'm going to. So that's also cool too. That's, you know, that'll be a fun little uh, stretch there. But yeah, I, you know, it's not like I'm jumping for joy about New Japan's current state because, you know, until they have like money again, <laughs> I don't know how anyone can feel like super optimistic. But, you know, I'm try- I'm putting some of it, some of the negativity behind me and trying to just enjoy what they're giving me for now. But it does feel very pre- precarious still, of course. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something which I think is worth unpicking about the sort of Bushi Road situation. Um, and our number one fan, Antonio, says, I don't know if you guys are seeing the question, but Thoggers on the whole Rossi Ogawa stardom debacle. And no, you guys sort of answered my question with the whole mobile game stuff. But given what's happened, and they're sorry for asking this again, but has Bushi Road time in wrestling as whole run its course? Now, I, I think Antonio is sort of quickly approaching the kind of uh, broken clock being right twice a day kind of scenario here where I think he's got a point and, and I said so last week and knowing what we've been told about Bushy Road having no money and all the money that has gone down the shit and with them for the, the mobile games market and these, this gacha game that they announced and in the same tweet that they announced it they said the servers for it are going to be <laughs> pulled like two months later which was just absolutely ridiculous thing to happen and, and very worrying f- for that part of the the, uh, the portfolio anyway. And, you know, we're told that it's all that stuff, the mobile game stuff is separate, you know, from budgeting aspects to what New Japan is. But um, this stardom situation does it does warrant discussion, I think, because we know that Bushiroad and Kidani like to stick their oar in when it comes to booking. It's happened with stardom. It's pissed off Rossi so much that he's leaving and obviously going to start up his own company and they've been doing it in New Japan as well. And, you know, we know there's tension between Kidani and New Japan, Kidani Gedo, and quite a few instances where they've given directives to New Japan bookers to follow, like the, the TV title, for example. We are led to believe that that was a Kidani thing. So what are your thoughts on this stardom situation and how do you think it Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Japan, I mean, it's interesting. It's you know, it definitely seems like there's a lot of parallels there. Was he? Well, you might just put this on the Discord, but okay. I mean, I guess this is mostly public information, so it's fine to say it. It's like, if it's one thing for Bushiro to have a lot of money and be getting involved in your booking decisions, but like, it's another thing to be told, we have no money for you at all, and we're going to tell you what to do with your booking. Like, that kind of fucking sucks, right? Even more. So... It's just kind of like a double whammy there where it's like they're telling you we're really broke and we can't help you money-wise, but here's what you should fucking do with the world title. It's just, if I was Gato and now I guess Rossi too, and that's what they were telling me, you know, I would be like, well, fuck you then. Like you can't even, like you're, if you're not, if you're not at least going to pay us, if you're not at least going to have, you know, some, the coffers full here to, you know, give us the, the full corporate backing that we're expecting that I don't want to listen to you tell me about, you know, who to put the red belt on and who to put the white belt on or whatever. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to listen to that then, which is, you know, if, if they still had the money going, maybe Rossi sits there and puts up with a little bit more, you know? 
And do you think this has any sort of direct impact on New Japan in terms of the, the involvement with Stardom? Or, I mean, it was so superficial to start with. Like, we only get to see these Stardom showcase matches like three or four times a year. So it doesn't feel like there's going to be that much of an impact in, in terms of. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe we'll see them a little more, but. It, it felt like it did feel like the timing was interesting on, you know, Rossi's going down at the same time they announced, oh, by the way, we're going to have a IWGP women's title match in Sapporo. So maybe, you know, they really want that synergy right now, especially with, uh, you know, stardom potentially about to enter really rocky waters with Rossi starting his own promotion and potentially taking a bunch of the talent. So I could see them wanting to use New Japan to maybe help stardom or help prop it up. So maybe we see it a little bit more, but I'm sure they're also going to get a ton of pushback on the New Japan side. They really want to like, you know, they told them to start putting on every show. I'm sure they're going to get a ton of pushback to that because, you know, we, we're pretty sure they've been pushing back on it all this time. And a lot of them don't really want to do it at all in the locker room. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I think maybe we'll see it a little bit more, at least in the short term, but I wouldn't expect to see a ton more of it. I guess that would be my best guess anyway. Okay, well, let's get into the uh, pair of Corican Hall shows that took place earlier this week. Uh, one of the Sunday one in particular I thought was really fantastic. So this was a road to the new beginning. A um, lot of fun stuff on the other card, but I, nothing that I feel really warrants in-depth discussion. I think a lot of these exhibits we cover when we do the Osaka show. So um, I am just going to skip straight ahead to the United Empire versus Bullet Club single series, which I think has been... Oh, well, well maybe one... Well, the only thing we should maybe note on the undercard, to me, that was notable was Yuya tapping out Suji. Because that plays into the... Yes. Yeah. So he beat it... Because that was shocking to me. That match only went 7-16, and he beat him with the uh, the cross-arm breaker, which I... That... I did not see that coming at all. And if... If they're going to bring that back as, like, an instant submission, you know, which is a, a historical... A move that used to end a lot of New Japan matches, and... They kind of got away from it, um, you know, in this last, like, post-2012 era. I, I don't dislike that idea at all because, you know, that move should tap somebody out right away. But I just wanted to note that because I thought that was such an interesting finish. Yeah, we don't seem to get too many submission finishes these days. I've not run the data. I'm not um, Craig from PW Musings, but... Uh... I uh, <laughs> think it's really interesting the way that they've used this tour to kind of set out their stall for, for these future generational feuds. Like Shota against Ren, they've been set up as a generational rival so far, and now obviously Suji and Yuya. And I do like the way that they, they are putting in these finishes, like the Armlock Crosshold submission. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the how did the Faction Warfare match finish? But anyway, my, my point being that they're having all these finishes to kind of layer in for future times that these guys wrestle each other those little near falls where you're like ah well he, he tapped him out at that row two show so maybe he's going to tap him out here to add a little bit of extra spice and drama to it. yeah the faction warfare match just ended with the the gene blast but that's right yes yeah. the spear wasn't it? yeah and uh the the wrestle kingdom match had, had a different finish that was you yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up actually because uh that's gonna annoy me otherwise but that was a you your win wasn't it at wrestle kingdom yes Yep, Yuya won that with, uh, I don't remember what the fuck he won it with. I was there at ringside, I should know this, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Deadbolt Super. There you go. Okay. Yeah. And then I seem to recall on one of the the uh, the, the Road to Tokyo Dome shows, didn't he, did he pick up both wins? It was a rolling cradle, wasn't it, on the, uh, the one December 22nd. Yes, it was. It was a rolling cradle. So, yeah, it, it's nice that they're sort of adding a few different 
finishing moves to his arsenal. I like that. I like this bit, a bit of variety there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. The one thing I don't like, by the way, is the website. Because I kept, I w- went to look for the results of that gauntlet match. They don't list the individual parts of that gauntlet, which kind of sucks. Yeah, it just tells you what happened at, with the yeah. final pairing. But, uh, we'll get on to that. The first match I wanted to talk about in depth was the fifth match, which was uh, Great O'Connor defeating Alex Coughlin, uh, 12 minutes, 5 seconds with the jackknife holder. So it was supposed to be Jeff Cobb, but he got injured and they did a big angle with that with um, Bullet Club beating him down. And Great O'Connor was the late replacement. And I really like this. I've been a bit cold on Great O'Connor for the most part last year. I felt he kind of slept walk through the G1. The Mox match was incredible. I love that. But he just, I don't know. I just kind of get the vibe from O'Connor that he's phoning it in sometimes. But it was not the case here. I thought he was really entertaining here. I really liked the grappling. Um, and for, for his part, I thought Coglin did all right. I mean, he didn't it particularly impress me during the G1. And I still think he's more effective as a tag wrestler. Like the, the power spots are impressive, but the the... His presentation is good. I like his promos, but everything kind of between that, he still needs to work on. And, you know, relative terms, he's still a bit of a rookie compared to a lot of these other guys. So he's still got growing to do. But I thought this was a, a, a very entertaining match in spite of that. Yeah. Um, I, so I disagree a little bit where I, I actually thought uh, Coglin looked pretty damn good here, especially because I agree with you that his G1 was really disappointing. I thought he, like, you know, when you, especially compared to the G1 that his partner Gabe Kidd had, where I thought Gabe just looked miles ahead of him as a singles wrestler in the G1. Here, you know, Gabe still probably is miles ahead of him because of the match he had that we're about to talk about. But I did think Coglin looked better to me in the ring, in ring here at Ocon than he looked for most of the G1. Like, I thought his matches in the G1 uh, were a little boring. And here, I, did, I would not describe this match as boring at all. And I thought he held up his end of the bargain pretty well. I went like three and three quarters on it. So I thought it was really good. If you were doing like a 20 man cut for the G1 this year, uh, are both these guys making your 20? I or, think they have I mean, to. For me, I, yeah. I think they, okay. Coglin, uh, I, I think they do. I, I mean, I'd have to really look at it and see who I have to take out to get the 20, but I don't know. I think they have to, cause they're both, you know, they're both going to be part of your future. And, they both feel like they have more to give. So I really want, I really would want them both in it. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of more optimistic about Okan now. Obviously he's got KOPW, which you know, it's not a hugely prestigious title, but it's something. And I think whatever happens at the end of this uh, United Empire Bullet Club thing, I feel Okan should benefit from that. I think maybe a fresh coat of paint, new direction, would be good for him because he's been also making a lot of cryptic comments about, you know, he doesn't want to get involved in it and he's just, you know, out for himself at the end of the day, which which is quite intriguing because that seems to be a bit of a change of direction for what Ocon has, has typically said with regards to United Empire. So I think that's one to, to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Because he is not involved in the, the cage match in Osaka. I mean, I'm not going to jump ahead to the preview now, but um, he's, he's a bit of a a dark horse when it comes to this feud and, and the faction in general. Yeah, it was fun watching him mix it up with Coglin here after he was just completely absent from the feud until now because he was, like you said, he was busy with the KOPW stuff. Um, so I thought it was cool just, like, to have him get involved. And, you know, not that I – I don't dislike Jeff Cobb or anything, but it kind of feels like we've seen everything out of Jeff Cobb. Like, when, when his yeah. name showed up as a rumored guy to leave, 
Um, you know, he, he he did not exactly hit me hard there because it's like, you know, I like Jeff Cobb. I don't want to come up like I don't like Jeff Cobb. I think he's a very good wrestler. And I've seen him have some very good matches, but he does kind of feel like he's already hit his peak in New Japan. Whereas yeah. obviously Okan, you know, watching Okan mix it up on another guy who, um, you know, hasn't really come close to his peak yet was to me a lot more satisfying than the original Cobb versus, you know, Cobb versus Coggle, I'm sure would have been fine. But this had that feeling of like two young guys, two hungry guys who really haven't come close to their peak, who are like getting in there and like showing what they can do. And I always love that kind of match. So very different vibe than Cobb Coglin would have been. Yeah, and, and keeping with that or of the, the young hungry guys going out of the sixth match, Henare and Gabe could go to a 20 minute, 27 second knockout draw. I... I needed this match, and I think a lot of the fans have needed this match. Like this, this breathed new life into my love of New Japan, and I think for both these guys as well, because they're just they're both a bit mental, aren't they? In a good way, and I, you know, it's all well and good to turn up for you know, like a Wrestle Kingdom or you know a huge show in a huge spot and showing out like this, but to do it to just beat the crap out of each other and nearly kill each other on a Road Two show at Corrigan Hall. Just because they felt like it, just because they could, just because it it meant something to them, you know. I'm sure a lot of it is about the contract situation, and they wanted to prove their their value to the company. That just seeing these two young, hungry, angry guys just beating the snot out of each other, very, very deliberately, I thought, on that line mark, and just collapsing at the end of it, just very. It really hit me on an emotional level, and it's for me, it's my match of the year so far, and. You know, not necessarily from a technical standpoint, and I'm sure there'll be matches with, you know, more moves and, and stuff when it comes to the end of the year. But for me, when I come to do my top three or top ten or whatever, it's I always remember the matches that made me feel something. And this was a match that made me feel something and, and made me feel like I really don't think New Japan can afford to let these guys slip through their fingers. And you know, from the whispers I've heard that they, they will be sticking around, but if they continue to lowball these guys specifically and and young talent in general, then I, I do worry. And I think this was kind of like a mission statement for both of them. Like, look, this is this is how much we care about New Japan. This is a row two show and we're killing each other because this is how much we love the company. Show us show us some love. Give, give us some flowers. Show us what we're worth. So um, a, an incredible match. Absolutely love this one. Well, you can tell with both guys that they really do. They're both the kind of guy that do not want to leave. It's like they might leave because, you know, they just might at the end of the day need the money or not even need the money, but just like, you know, they get offered so much more money, they have to go. But like, you can tell in a perfect world, I want to be there. I mean, Gabe, Gabe can, I think, went on some podcast and flat out said it and said, you know, my contract negotiation between me and New Japan, they just got to pay me, but I want to stay. Like, I, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's basically what he said, I think. And Hanare, you can tell, I mean, he, he's another dojo guy and he fucking hates America, which apparently, apparently that's a shoot. So like, I don't, he's not exactly in a rush to go to AW. I mean, we need to stock up New Japan with America haters. That's what we need. We need people who absolutely hate America's guts. Uh, but yeah, so he, he obviously doesn't want to leave either. But it's like, you know, they, they go out there. I'm sure the fact that Cork and Hall was like packed to the rafters helped. Because like this was like a completely sold out show, you know, like the 1450 or whatever they drew. Um, actually, the, the exact numbers at the top of the fucking screen, I can just tell. 1433. And, you know, it was a, a sold-out Corkin. And, and when you're in a sold-out Corkin Hall, because I've, I've been in a sold-out Corkin Hall, 
it's just a different vibe. I mean, that feels like, you know, when you can't see any of those empty orange seats and you just see that, you know, the, it, it feels like you're in a bigger building, if anything. Like, and that crowd makes so much noise that you can, like, almost trick yourself and that you're not working just in front of 1,400 people. And it feels extra special. And I'm sure that helped them, you know, get over the line and have this amazing match they had. Um, you know, the, the cork in the next night was not a sold-out show, which I think probably hurt the uh, the stuff on that show, especially probably the gauntlet. Uh, that show did 1,015. But, yeah, this this show being sold out, I think, really probably helped them a little bit, too. Uh, maybe a little extra motivation. But, but, yeah, amazing match. I went four and a half stars on it. I thought that's, you know, what I mean, they beat the living piss out of each other. Um, you know, they the whole thing with Gabe Kidd, I've seen people say they find his persona annoying. It, I get it to a degree. And I'm not trying, I hate, I know when people hate when you do the argument that like, he's a heel, he's supposed to be annoying, but like, he is supposed to be a heel. You're not supposed to like him and you're supposed to want to see him get his ass kicked. And you know, uh, so if you don't like, he backs it up, doesn't he? He's out there saying, I'm a, I'm a madman. Yeah. And then he shows it with his behavior. It's not like he's just talk. He's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It up in the ring. Well, that's true. And it's like, well, you're, but if you find him obnoxious, yes, he's supposed to be obnoxious. That's his character. That's what he's going for. You know, I get it if you just really, I, I, I honestly cannot get in the mind of the people who find him so obnoxious they don't want to watch him at all because I'm like, he is just so good that even if you find his persona that off-putting, and again, I don't. I find his persona very amusing, if anything. Um, I've, I've always been very entertained by him since he came back. But, like, if you really find his persona that off-putting, he backs up in the ring, he has awesome matches, and, you know, he stands there and gets his ass kicked. So if you really want to watch, you know, if you really don't like this guy or whatever, you get to see him get hit in the face a lot. So, like, what's the problem here? I don't know. But, and I saw some people say it was a, it was a mid-match Roman Reigns-style promo. I'm like, give me a fucking break with that. He said, like, one line about, he said one line about fucking Antonio Inoki, which was great. And that was it. Like, <laughs> like it's not – that's not a mid-match promo. Like, you guys need to watch your Roman Reigns matches again if you think that's a Roman Reigns mid-match promo. It's like, please. But anyway, just, I, I'm just, like, dealing with the few criticisms I've seen of that match online. That one, I was like, what the fuck? But <laughs> yeah, I, I like the little touches as well. Like, you know, usually we see Gabe Kidd jumping his opponents before the bell. Didn't do it this time. He came out first. And he stood in the corner and he waited for Hanare and then they just went at it from the bell. So, yeah, there was just a, a, something special about this match. Like, they, you, you could tell beforehand they'd had a conversation that they were just like, right, all bets are off. Let's just beat the shit out of each other. And the match ruled as a result. And, and I also like the fact that they didn't appear the following day to sell those injuries. I'm sure a lot of them were legit. I mean, I've seen, you know, social media posts and photos of their uh, blistered and, and chop skin, which... Uh, it leads us to an interesting question here, actually. So this is a uh, hold on a second. So uh, Daryl says, "Have the strong style chop forearm kick become too much of a trope?" I love the match, but I have seen it used in situations where I've been indifferent. So uh, he gives a quote here. There's a tweet from Bret Hart. He's obviously not talking about this match. Oh God! But you've seen this Bret Hart quote <laughs> where he says, uh, "Anytime anyone does anything to you that hurts for real, chopping, putting blisters on your chest when you go to your room or bed. Anytime anyone does things." To you, for real, they're in the wrong business. They're doing it wrong. Well, okay. First of all, you have to take everything Bret Hart says. I made this joke on Twitter. He could go down to South America 
and do a 15-year study on the effects of climate change on like South American fucking flora and the environment, and the final report would be nothing but a big shot at Ric Flair and Bill Goldberg. Like that's what this man lives to do. Because <laughs> like that, the chop shit is just because he hates Ric Flair. He's always hated Ric yes. Flair. He always will hate Ric Flair. It's not a shot. That's really all it is. And at the end, he actually gives a, includes a shot at Bill Goldberg by name. So like at the end of that thing, where he's like, "Oh, that's Bill Goldberg wrestling." So I don't know. Like I don't really take Brett seriously. He was a great wrestler in his day, but his style of like, you know, the very safe American style, it's never been it's never been my favorite thing, obviously. And I think there has to be look, pro wrestling is not the only thing where people consensually, you know, do harm, right? I mean, it's like there are there are plenty of sports and activities where people know they're going to get hurt going in, and do get hurt. I mean, I, I, you, even if you watch real sports, they get fucking hurt all the goddamn time. If you, I watch hockey. Again, I mentioned that before. Um, these guys obviously know when they run into each other and knock each other into the boards, it's going to fucking hurt. And when you land on, like, I just saw a guy, like, land on his leg and, like, basically twist it in half when he was, like, falling to the ice and just have to be stretchered out. I mean, there's... All these sports are dangerous. Just because wrestling is like predetermined does not mean there should be no harm involved at all or no risk of harm. And there should be a space for people who want to go out there and beat the piss out of each other to do that. They want to do that. I mean, that should be part of wrestling. So, you know, it's not if Bret Hart. If you don't want to do that, there should be part of wrestling for you too. I mean, if you want to be even in New Japan, if you want to be Zack Saber Jr. and do masterful technical wrestling instead of constantly getting the shit beaten out of you and beating the shit out of other people, there should be space for you to do that too. But if you want to be Hanari and Gabe Kidd and go out there and beat the piss out of each other, I, I don't see why that shouldn't be part of pro wrestling. So that's my take on it at least. Yeah. And, and Donald's follow-up question was, is this something that should be reserved for special circumstances? And I mm. don't think so. I, I like the fact that you, that, that again, they did it at a row two show where there was absolutely no reason to do that. Well, um, okay. No I, was necessarily I, well, I'll counter this a little bit. This is a special circumstance to them. How often do Hanari and Gabe Kidd get a marquee singles match on a show? Not very often. True. So these are two guys who weren't on Wrestle Kingdom. So if you're telling them to save a Wrestle Kingdom, they literally can't fucking save a Wrestle Kingdom. This is how they get over to the point where they get Wrestle Kingdom matches, and then they can save a Wrestle Kingdom if they want to. But, like, you know, what is, you're basically telling them, well, you can only do headlocks because you're on cork, and it's like, that's not going to work. They have to have the space and the time to make a name for themselves, and, you know, if they want to make the name for themselves by like beating the shit out of each other, that's their business. Uh, William says, after Hanari Gay's performance, do you think it's time Ghetto pulls the trigger on them and strap them up with gold? I Yes, they should, but I don't think they will. I, I think we're kind of in this era now where a lot of these guys are accepting new contract offers or you know half year contract offers or temporary contract offers with the low ball salary with the agreement that they're going to get a push so they're going into the office being like okay fine I'll accept this crap salary but you got to give me a run with this belt or or whatever you got you got to give me a push so I I kind of feel like that they they may have sort of backed themselves up with uh, guys that they promised to give pushes to so I'm not going to be holding my breath necessarily for Gabe 
and or Henare to get a big push immediately. I do think if they stick around, it will come. And I really think this was a great match. In, in like I said, like setting those setting the table for those uh, long term generational feuds. Because now every time these guys are opposite the ring from each other, where it's a tag match or you know if it's a, in a tournament, if they're in the same G one block, then. That's one everyone's going to be circling, be like, "Holy shit!" We remember what happened last time. There's going to be fireworks here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's how you get over. It's like you know, they're just how they're going to get over. I mean, that's all there is to it. So, I don't know. I just think it's one of these things where people have like outsmarted themselves a little bit, where they're just like, uh, you know, oh, you shouldn't beat each other up in pro wrestling. It's like it's pro wrestling. Fucking falling on the mat hurts. You don't think taking a bump hurts? I've taken a I because it's funny because people will tell you like, have you ever taken a bump? I actually have taken a bump. It fucking hurts. So you know, don't tell me like it doesn't. Don't tell me it doesn't fucking hurt. Like, yeah, I'm sure what they did hurts more, but it all fucking hurts. So don't, don't uh, you know, you don't have to tell them, wag your finger at them for, you know, beating the shit out of each other. I mean, getting dropped on your head repeatedly hurts too. Let's move on then to the seventh match, which was David Finlay defeating Callum Newman in 10 minutes, 27 seconds with Overkill. Uh, yeah, really enjoyable match. Yeah. I think an extended squash, but this is the kind of thing you want to see in a squash match where like Finlay basically uh, just absolutely destroyed Callum Newman and used that to send a message to the absent Will Ospreay saying, like, look, look what I'm doing to your boy. So this is the kind of David Finlay that we want to see. And he kind of lost his way a bit in... The, the middle to the latter half of, of 2023, but I'm back on board now with Finley. I think he's been really good so far this year, and um, I, I think he's looking and carrying himself like a leader. And I know sort of casual fans are probably not going to get behind him. I think that ship has already sailed, but I mean, for my personal enjoyment, I think he's, he's doing a good job here. Yeah, that was my hot take in the uh, preview that went up in the on Voice of Wrestling, the uh, New Beginning of Soccer preview. Like, I did a whole paragraph on how I think people really should give Finley another chance because, you know, he's been, I think he's been pretty phenomenal ever since he did the, um, the angle at the end of power struggle, where he destroyed both belts with the giant hammer, which was funny, but like all his promos leading up to Wrestle Kingdom, I thought were really good. And then in the Wrestle Kingdom match, I thought he was excellent. Like I thought he like, he did a great job keeping up with Osprey and John Moxley in that match, which I think not enough people, not nearly enough people gave him enough credit for uh, in a match that I think was very critically acclaimed in general, and just a lot better than I was expecting out of a stupid three-way match. So he should get his flowers for that. And then I think he's really come into his own in the last month during this feud, this universe's unit feud, as like a great heel and a great, like, complete scumbag leader of Bullet Club War Dogs. Because obviously, like, what was the big criticism of Finley when he first turned, right? It was that he was Jay White Jr., like, that was what people looked at him and said, this is like, discount Jay White. He's not, it's going to be tough for him to beat those charges because of people's first impression. And then just being, you know, he's a guy that came up at the same time as Jay White. They're both white. They're, they're both these, like, you know, kind of white guys with, like, sort of similar builds and, like, similar height. So I get it. You know, White White obviously is in better shape, too, which I'm sure doesn't help. Although Philly's, you know, actually got him quite good shape, I think, you know, compared to what he looked like a few months ago. But, so, you know, I get the, I get the, why people had that impression. And the look they gave him even, you know, was kind of similar. 
But where Finley, I it's think... It's good that he stopped dyeing his eyebrows and dyeing his beard. Like, yeah. He's gone back to his natural colour. and I, he, He's like, he, he he's, doesn't seem to be trying too hard anymore. Yeah, he's not a try hard. Exactly. He seems to be like a more natural fit. And what I was going to say is, Finley, I think, has done a really good job cultivating this persona. So Jay White's persona was like mustache twirling villain, right? His persona was so over the top. He was like practically cackling evilly, you know, like that kind of villain. And he always looked like he was also a little bit insecure. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, like, I think that was part of his character was like, he was supposed to be like this insecure guy who, you know, made it to the top of Bullet Club. And, you know, is very much like I'm, you know, cackling evilly, but like kind of on the inside, like kind of, you know, not sure of myself. Yeah, he was a bit of a coward, you know, when yeah. things got tough, he'd roll out of the ring. Exactly. So he does a, so that's his persona. And Finley, I think, has gone in a different direction with it. He's not a coward at all, first of all. He almost never runs away from these, these fights or anything. He obviously has his backup and stuff, and he has the numbers advantage. But he's like, he's like ruthlessly smart. Instead of like cackling, he just kind of like smirks at you. And he like just is more content to stand back and watch things play out the way he wants them to play out. And it's much more calm and, like, cool and collected, like a much more level-headed type of heel. And I think he's done a good job, you know, establishing that character. Um, the way they did this angle with, uh, first of all, Will Ospreay, you know, not not saying about the per- as a person, but his character. Ospreay telling David Finley, you could pick the stipulations for the big blow-off match for your two units. Uh, that's going to be a hard one to beat for dumb baby face of the year in 2024. It's like, why did you do that exactly? <laughs> that didn't really make any sense. But then I love that David Finley, first of all, I love that he revealed this as a drip. Like, you know, drip, drip, drip. First he did the cage. First he reveals the cage match right away. Then he reveals it's going to be war game style, which we didn't know until this past uh, weekend, I don't think. And then he's like, well, since I, this, this is my favorite touch. I love this. Instead of being like, well, it's war game style, let's flip a coin. He's like, it's war game style. Will Osprey said I could pick the stipulations, so I picked that we had the man advantage. That's brilliant. I mean, that makes him look that, that makes him look like a brilliant heel. You know, he's just such a like ruthlessly smart heel. It's just like he said I could pick. I picked that we have the advantage. That's great. And it's a great touch for his character. Again, it makes Osprey look like an idiot, but Osprey's leaving anyway, so who gives a shit? But like it's just so I just love that persona of Finley as like this very ruthlessly smart leader of Bullet Club. The whole thing where he's like, I'm gonna get ahead of Bullet Club before Bullet Club, you know, dumps me. Is a it's a good it's a good concept in general since obviously the leaders always end up getting dumped. But you know, and I'm intrigued to see where it all goes. And I think he's just done a really good job growing into that persona. And you know, people are not going to give him a second chance, probably. But who? I mean, these people watch New Japan twice a year. Who gives a shit? It's always what I say. Yeah. Who gives a shit what yeah. the fuck they think anyway? But the, I think yeah. I think most of the New Japan fans who actually watch every show would probably be willing to admit that he looks better in this role. Yeah, and, and the the stuff that him and the War Dogs have done to Callum Newman, to Francesco Acker, is way more vicious than anything that Jay White's Bullet Club ever did to anyone else. So, yeah, they hung I, just, I love it. Like the, the, Yeah, the, the systematic violence that they've inflicted on these various members of United Empire, I've found really, really compelling. Um, the Mish says, thoughts on David Finlay sounding like Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I'm not hearing that personally. I'm not, not something that uh, has uh, I, I've noticed so far, but uh, I'll, I'll be listening out for it next time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, how, how are you feeling about Callum Newman? Because I think... 
he's got all the tools. Everything I'm hearing about him is good. And, you know, if he is in it for the long term, the only thing that's going to hold him back is his um, tiny, tiny, perfectly spherical head. But aside from that, I think he's got all the tools to be uh, a success. And, you know, if he does follow the Osprey route, um, then, yeah, could be could be a pretty high ceiling for Canham. Yeah, he looks good. I mean, the only thing that gives me pause is, like you guys have talked about before, you know, does does a guy like this get to last for even eight years like Osprey does this time? I, I kind of doubt it. So I'm trying not to get too attached because it's like, you know, he could be gone in a year or two for all I know. But if he does stay longer, then I think, you know, like you said, he has a high ceiling and he, he already looks pretty good, especially for his experience level. So. All right, so the main event of this show was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship match where the War Dogs, John and Maloney, Clark Connors uh, won back their titles with their, their custom uh, lovely white belts from Francesco Acker and TJP. So it was 80 minutes, 33 seconds uh, after Clark pinned Francesco Acker following the full clip. And yeah, I mean, this was a lot better than the Wrestle Kingdom match. I don't think it was as good as the matches that they had no. last year. Uh, but I, I'm glad that this wasn't a match that was sort of gobbled up by the Aswang stuff, which I don't know. I've got no time for that personally. Like the, I, I don't mind people sort of being a bit dark and broody, but when it's actually like verging on the supernatural, then then it loses me. So I'm glad they kind of stayed away from it here. And the, the heart and soul of this match, and I, I would say probably the feud between these two factions in general was Francesco Acura and the, like the, the psychological damage that's been inflicted upon him, like him sort of visibly recoiling at seeing a fork. And then, you know, the following day when they had that one minute disqualification match, them hanging him from the ring, like the way he has been systematically targeted as like the weak link in this group and like the youngest, the most vulnerable member of the team and that they've just gone after this guy. And he was the the focus on this match, I thought was just really, really interesting. So, you know, not, I, I don't think it's a match that's going to be in a, any of my match of the year shortlist, but in terms of sort of continuing to tell that story and set the table for Osaka, I thought it was really great drama. Yeah, the the interesting thing, right, is that if, when you look at the Fantastica Mania cards, he's teamed up with all the heels from CMLL next week. I think people might be reading too much into that because we've seen in past years where, like, people reading too much into that and assuming he's turning heel in the cage because when you look at, like, the way the Fantastica Mania tour usually goes, the... They, they have a lot of Huntai baby faces on the tour. So you will see guys who are on these neutral units that maybe even lean face, uh, you know, the rest of the year teaming up with the CMLL heels just because they need to balance the scales. So it doesn't necessarily mean uh, Akira is turning, I think, in the cage. But it is interesting the way they, you know, told this story, I think, could easily lead to a turn. Um, it'd be interesting to see where he goes if he turns because it kind of seems like it, it, it would be a little weird for him to join the war dogs if they just tried to hang him here. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all very interesting. We'll see what happens, I guess. Um, but as far as the tag title match itself, uh, I liked it. I thought like, you know, three and a half level, definitely better than the, uh, the Aswang match in the Tokyo Dome. I don't mind the Aswang thing to the point where like, if TJP is just going to spit miss now and have red eyes all the time, that's fine with me. I don't really mind that. It's more like, you know, pulling out that mask all the leave, time. Leave the mask at home. Yeah, yeah, leave the mask at home. These gimmicks where, like, they can't really sell do not make for good wrestling matches. So uh, hopefully we don't see a lot of the ass going forward. But if he just wants to have red eyeballs now and 
spit mist randomly, that's fine. I don't really mind. I mean, Bushi spits mist, you know? You don't have to be a... I don't think Bushi's supposed to be a zombie or anything, so... Yeah. Yeah, I think this was the, the right amount of Aswang in this match. Yeah. And also another little interesting wrinkle for this was Driller Maloney saying that he's ripped his bicep off the bone, which sounds really nasty, but he, he, he seems to still be able to go. Uh, so I'll file that one away. But uh, Will Pro Wrestling says, do you think with Driller and Clark now the tag champions that they re-signed new contracts to say? Uh, yes. Yes, they did. Um, I mean... Wait, if that's important, but I think that's that's a, a pretty safe bet that they've extended with the company, and and I think the right move to put the titles back on them and basically just make Bullet Club look as strong as possible uh, headed into this match in Osaka. Indeed. All right, uh, so that is it for the first day of Korok, and the second night again. I'm happy to just skip forward to the main event, except one thing I would. Circle here is uh, Great Okan, his backstage comment where he's, he said, and I quote, Empire is in trouble. Great Okan won't be the one restoring order. Great Okan is fighting for his own pride and desires. So again, let's just we'll file that one away. But before Can I we mention, get to the let me mention a couple things from the undercard real quick. First of all, I am so tired of watching Chase and Kenta use those fucking tag title belts. It feels like, I know it's only been a month. It feels like it's been a year. It's like, they, they are like the most boring heel team I think in a long, long time where like these, these tag title belts were on teams that were interesting pretty much all year last year. And now it feels like we're going backwards back to a, a completely boring act as te- like, like who can Okay. You have the rest of bullet club, the war dogs who are doing this incredibly vicious gimmick where they're beating the fucking shit out of everybody that they're coming in, in contact with. They hang a man on the same show. They hung poor Francisco care on the same show. You have House of Torture, who technically in Bullet Club, they do the, the weapon stick better than anybody can do it. You know, whether you like that stick or not, they do it well. They have that covered in New Japan. I don't want to watch Chase Owens lightly tap people in the head in the fucking forehead with tag title belts in the same company. Like that just looks like nothing compared to what the other people in Bullet Club are doing. And there it when you add that to the fact that they're in this weird Bullet Club vortex of like the only unaffiliated Bullet Club people left that are in a subunit. It's just so strange. Like, what are these guys? They're just like random heels who are, I guess, cool with the War Dogs and team with them sometimes, but they're not War Dogs themselves. And you know, they're Taiji Shimori. I remember after Kanemaru like joined House of Torture, Taiji Shimori like confusingly, he's like looks confused backstage. He's like. Am I in the same unit as Kanemaru now? <laughs> like, he didn't know. He's like, is this the same unit? Are we both in Bullet Club? He had no fucking idea. He was trying to figure this out. And I technically, the answer is yes. But they never interact or anything, which actually could be... Like, that could be interesting. Like, Ishimori and Kanemaru, with all their history, that goes all the way back to Noah, uh, having to team up together or whatever. You know, that would be interesting. Instead, we never... Fought, they never interact... They, the rest of Bullet Club never interacts with House of Torture. They barely interact with the, you know, they sort they do interact with the War Dogs, but it's never explained what what makes them non War Dogs. I don't know. Maybe I'm nitpicking here. I just I hate it. I think they I, don't, I think the chase and get the team is boring as hell, and they got to like just do something with these guys. Like either just put them in the War Dogs or like turn the face or just this lightly tapping people with tag title belts is just not not interesting at all. So there's my. Yeah, there's they feel my, like a real throwback, like they've been left behind. Yeah, they've lost them the shuffle with it. All the other factions are sort of doing 
new and interesting stuff and kind of driving it forward. Where again, this is what I was saying earlier. I feel this is a guy slash guys who've agreed to sign new deals and, and managed to politic a, a sweet tag title push um, in, in the bargain. So uh, yeah, we'll get onto the Osaka preview. But this it's it's been a hard skip for me. I'm you know in, oh, you in ever, 2024. Oh, you didn't even watch, you didn't even watch it. I, I, I will force myself to watch it when it comes to the uh, the Osaka show, like the actual title okay. matches. But the <laughs> undercard tag matches, uh, they, they are background double speed. Um, I used the term viewing in inverted commas there. Yeah, but, uh, I, I watched yeah, it. Remember. I watched every second at regular speed, and I did not enjoy any of it. So I just wanted to rant about that because it's just like these. It, it, like Kenta pinned. Like Kenta needed a belt shot to beat Giotto. Like, that was the finish. Like, Chase, like, lightly <laughs> tapped fucking Giotto on the forehead with his tight title belt. And then Kenton jackknife held him and didn't even really have his shoulder down. Looked like shit. Like, ugh. This it's is pathetic. It was, it was re- absolutely pathetic. It was really bad. I mean, like, look. I, like, like I try to, like, take... I, it feels like New Japan should take a little more pride in its fucking matches than that. Than, than Chase Owens uh, with the fucking light tap belt shot and the horrible jackknife holds. Give me a break with this shit. Yeah, it sucks. There was one other thing on the other card, too, uh, which I just thought was interesting, was Zach tapping out Togi Makabe. It was like, how often, like, when's the last time Togi Makabe tapped anybody? Yeah, I'm looking at it. So this was Yano, Makabe, Ishii, and Tanahashi. So, I mean, I suppose what in kayfabe, Makabe would be the... The lowest. I think. No, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's. Group, I it might be Yano. I don't know because Yano's been doing a lot of jobs lately too, when he never used to do any. But yeah, Yano and Makabe, for the longest time, even after they were pushed, they still very rarely took falls. And now Yano takes falls all the time. Makabe, I feel like takes more falls now than he used to. But I can't remember the last time I saw him tap out. Like that was interesting. Maybe Chris Sampson's listening and he can tell us. But I, I would love to know when the last time Makabe tapped out was. Because when I was watching the show, that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, Togi Makabe tapped out. And was, I guess they're, they're really pushing the Zach technical master thing because he has the big match with Danielson that we're going to get to. But I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to Zach. But I think you know the more bodies he can rack up in the, the build-up to this match, the better, really. So, uh, yeah, definitely something worth pointing out. Um, the main event was the Faction Warfare Gauntlet where... It went on a very long time. The website is not going to tell us what exactly went down. It was like, it, 40, it ended up, it was like 49, 49 minutes, I think, total. Yeah. Uh, so we finished up with uh, Yuya against Yota Suji. That went 90 minutes, 12 seconds. And Suji, was this the first time since uh, Yuya's return that he managed to, to pin Yuya? It feels like his first win over him for a while. But, uh, yeah, because they, the, the they, they, did, they did the draw in the G1, right? Oh, no, wait, Yuya wasn't there yet. <laughs> Yuya wasn't yeah. in the G1 um, so I think I can recreate this by memory let's say it started with Naito and Sonata they went to the 10 minute draw uh, then the next guys out were Taka was Taka second? actually maybe he wasn't the next guy out for LIJ was definitely Shingo who was the next guy out for I think it was Taka and Shingo I think it was Shingo Taka and Shingo and Shingo, Shingo yeah. beat him and then it was Tai Chi, and they went to the 10-minute draw, I think. So then it went to Bushi and Doki, and Doki beat him, I think, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, Doki did. beat him with that with the, with the what's-it-called thing, the, uh, 
the seatbelt, you know, the, the seatbelt Penny does. Yeah. So, yeah, Doki beat Bushi. Then Hiromu came out and they did the 10-minute draw, even though Doki kind of had him pinned at the end with the same seatbelt thing. But the 10-minute draw went, ran out of time. And then we went to Yota and Yuya, and that was the, the final where, like, the, the last part of it was always going to be they – said, they said ahead of time the 10-minute limit went away for the last part of it. So it was going to go on as long as it, as long as it was going to go on. So, yeah, you, you, Yota beat him in a – it says that part was 1912 with the Gene Blast. It was a great finish, too, where, like, he speared him twice and just, like, really just decisively put him away. It, just, it felt like a big deal since, obviously, like you said, Yuya has beaten him. Uh, you know, twice in a row before this, the the match at Russell Kingdom, and then again uh, at at the match at uh, you know that happened the night before we tapped him out with the arm breaker. What was the finish of their tag league match? Do you remember? Uh, I was trying to remember no, that. I don't, I don't know how I, I can, would get that because I've got uh, scrolling through uh, I can look it up. pages of tag league. I can look it up. Hold on. Oh, if I do a cage match, I suppose if I do a cage match. Uh, cage match not going to tell you who. What the who pinned it's who? Going to suit you. If you tell me the day, no, it's not, right. if you tell, you will tell me which day it was. Yeah, yeah. Tell me which day it was, and I'll click on it because I'm I'm just curious now. Um, all right. So this would be twenty first of November. Wow, was that day early? It was that early in the World tournament. Wow. Uh, so the result was okay. They they were not involved in the pin. Tai Chi pins uh, Zando Khan with the Black Mephisto. Okay. Yeah, so Yoda, because that's what I wanted to confirm. Yoda did not did not pin Yuya in that match. So yeah, this was the first time Yoda, Yoda pinned Yuya, unless unless they pinned him in some tag match that we're forgetting, which is possible, of course. But I think this was the first time Yoda pinned Yuya since they came back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, 
We've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. I, was, whoa, whoa, whoa. I really enjoyed it. Okay, sorry. I think he pinned him on the, like the road to Tokyo Dome. Oh, I know. That was you pinning Yoda again. That's yeah. Except, okay. So yeah, I think I think it's the first time. Someone will correct us if we're wrong. But I think it was the first time Yoda pinned him. All right, so... Uh... Where were we? <laughs> the uh, the the road to road to Tokyo Dome. It was Yuya yet again pinning Yota. Wasn't the first road to show also uh, in all of that pair before the Tokyo Dome? Wasn't that Yuya also getting a pin? And it may have been yeah. Also. I can't remember who got the pin. I'm going to find out. So the de- December twenty first, uh, it was. Oh no, you pinned Bushi in that one. In the depot. Okay. Okay. This was fun, though. This was fun, especially the like, okay, the earlier part of the Faction Warfare Gauntlet was a little boring, especially the Naito Sonata part, unfortunately. Um, which is, you know, like I said, unfortunate considering that's the world title match in a couple of weeks. But look, even Naito's um, acknowledged that it's boring. <laughs> He's yeah. like throwing his hands up. He's like, what are we doing here? Come on, this guy's yeah, Naito, Naito doesn't give a shit. Um, like, I, I don't. I, I don't know. Like, it's just a very, the crowd, the crowd reactions, like, I don't know why they decided to do this two months in a row, besides the fact that they had the idea to keep LIJ versus just five guys going, but they should have just fucking swapped it and done like Naito Taichi and Shingo Sonata or something. Because like the, the problem with this feud, there's a lot of problems with this feud, but a big problem with this feud is you, they don't want to put Sonata in a position to be the heel, but like, if you're trying to get somebody over as a baby face, you know, I don't I don't think the crowd support for Sonata is quite as dire as some people pretend it is. But like what you're doing here, the people who do support Sonata, they were fucking LIJ fans for the most part. The vast majority, which means they're always gonna put Sonata behind Naito. So people who would cheer Sonata against lots of other people are not gonna cheer him against Naito. So you're setting him up to look like a geek and look like he has no fan support, even less fan support than he actually does have. So I don't know why they thought this was a good idea to do two months in a row, but it's really hurting. When he's Sonata. injured as well, from, from what we've heard, Sonata's <laughs> quite badly hurt. So even, yeah, even let's go that. back to that one. So it's really a really bizarre choice to do this two months in a row. And they, you know that, that first 10 minutes just had very little juice. And, you know, the Corican crowd was not very into it. I don't think the fans really think he has a chance in hell to beat Naito. Um, you know, if he if he does, I, I don't know what the fuck New Japan is thinking at this point. But, you know, that's kind of the big problem, I think. Uh, one of many big problems, I should say, with doing this two months in a row is I don't think anyone gives him much of a chance in hell of winning. So, I don't know. This is not not good. The rest of it was better. Um, and then really, Yuya and Yota was like the highlight. I mean, they worked their asses off here and made something out of this when 
you know, before that it was just kind of there, but th- these two were like, you know, they, they, they just, they were, they're awesome together. They had a great, I thought this was even better than the Wrestle Kingdom stuff. So the Wrestle Kingdom match, I should say. So can I ask you, obviously we've got these uh, five guys, f- five, just five guys facing <laughs> off in singles matches at uh, New Beginning in Sapporo Night 2, February 24th. So that is uh, Bushi versus Taka, Hiromu versus Doki, Yota versus Yua in the hair versus hair match, Shingo versus Taichi, and then the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match, Naito against Sonata. Obviously, we're not going to pre- preview that one now, but if you had to rank in terms of your own personal excitement, hmm. where where does Naito Sonata fall? Let me, let, me just, me? Let, let, me, let me rank them. Let me say, I'll yeah. try, you're going to give you... No, no, you go uh, first. First place, easily Yota and Yuya. I don't see how... I really find it hard to believe anyone would disagree with that. Um, second place is kind of tough, and it's not between the two. Naito Sonata is not in the running for second place for me. Um, I would, I guess I would go Hiromu Doki and then Shingo Taichi. I like both those pairings a lot, um, and I can see both those matches being very good. So it's really, they're, they're almost tied for second. I really, I, if I had to put one ahead, I guess it would be Hiromu Doki. And then Naito Sonata fourth, and then uh, Taka and, you know, Bushi fifth. So, I yeah. mean, do you have a similar ranking? Uh, yeah, I would have um, Shingo Taichi as my clear second, and then Hiroba Doki third. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of into <laughs> Bushi versus Taka, but I don't think it would be a bit <laughs> disingenuous for me to say uh, more than uh, or equal to the, the world title match. I mean, it's a world title match, and you know, I, I love Naito, and I like seeing him uh, wrestle in, in matches where he's defending the title. So, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just have a feel that that match may get eaten up on this Sapporo show when we've got this hair versus hair match and also what I assume will be Okada's final New Japan match for a while at least. Uh, so It is yeah. interesting. It is interesting that show is really outselling night one. I don't know if you've seen this, but like um, night two in Sapporo has a chance of a sellout. So I don't know what to take that as besides... Because a lot of those tickets would have been sold before they even announced that Okada was leaving. So you can't put it all on Okada's last match. And, you know, I'm sure that is part helping the draw too. But, yeah, they have a chance to sell that show out. I mean, the um, the Royal Seats are sold out for both shows. That's Of course, they, they almost always are. But the, um, the B section, the Stand B, is completely sold out for night two. And then depending on what ticket set you look at, the, the other two seats uh, sections, the floor seats, uh, they call them arena seats, and the stand A, they show up as sold out in some of the sites too. I think it's only Lawson that still has them available. So like, you know, because people don't know, there's like three different Japanese ticket sites that New Japan uses. You kind of have to look at them all to get an idea. So night two might sell out. Night one, not even close. I mean, all four of the other seat categories besides ringside are still available and still showing up as normal availability on all the sites last time I checked. So, you know, night two always does better than night one. So you always have to say that, like, almost always does better than night one on these two night shows. But I don't know if people are more into this LIJ versus just five guys thing than some people would have you believe. I don't know if it's all on, you know, I'm sure Okada's last match, even though there's nothing announced yet. I'm sure people know it's, you know, they've announced that's its last date, so some people are probably buying tickets for that. But, uh, you know, the... Tanahashi versus Matt Riddle in a Finley versus Dolph Ziggler, not exactly being a, being a big competition with uh, the Unite 2 so far. So, 
Well, it could be that haircuts are just a big draw for the fans. So we've got quite a lot of questions about the hair versus hair thing. So, uh, yeah, well, there are two things, actually. First of all, Suji said he wants to take the IWGP title from Naito. So mm. that was uh, quite surprising. Uh, so, again, we'll file that one away for, for the future because See, that, that does feel was... like a, a big money match. That to me was almost a spoiler for the fucking uh, Naito Sonata, where I'm like, he should not be talking about that this early because it makes it even more obvious Naito's retaining, and now Suji's going to go into New Japan Cup with this big goal of winning it and taking the belt from his leader. I mean, maybe it's a red herring, but I kind of doubt it. So, but uh, yeah, a lot of buzz about this hair versus hair thing. So, Enigma Bird says, I'm here to ask the important question Who would look more beautiful with the buzz cut, Yota or Yuya? Uh, Multi versus Asa seeing. Either Suji or you, you lose their wonderful hair will be devastating. Oh, I'm not going to save that question for afterwards. But um, yeah, so how how are you feeling on the hair versus hair thing? Talking purely about the hair. Because looking back, I thought Yuya looked very handsome with shorter hair. I, I almost think there's a bit too much going on with his hair now. I like the kind of this kind of shaggy look where he almost looked like sort of Bruce Lee from uh, Enter the Dragon. He had that kind of vibe to him. So I think if I had to pick one of the guys to get a haircut, it would probably be Yuya. I agree. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I want. I think Yoda wins and uh, Yuya gets the haircut. But I'm a little worried since Yoda got the last win because I think Yoda really does not need the buzz cut at all. I think his hair is better and he needs to keep it. But uh, it's definitely going to give that match added. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be on the edge of my seat for that match rooting for Yoda Suji because I think he needs to keep the hair more than y- Yuya does. Because, yeah, Yuya goes back to that, like, short hair. He looks almost Inoki-esque with the short hair, you know? So I, I like I liked him with the short hair. I think it'll be I think it'll work for him. I mean, he has to grow it back, obviously, once they shave it. But, you know. The temporary humiliations, they can help a Japanese wrestler. Yeah, I wonder if he do, like, the... Was it Wrestle Kingdom 12 where the, the Suzuki versus Goto and Suzuki yeah. snatched the buzzers away and... and, and did his own haircut. That was, was such a great He wasn't going to have someone else cutting his hair, so I wonder if they might do something similar with that. But that so, was yeah, such a great I'd be interested moment. to see like how how much hair is going to cut off. Is it just going to be like cutting off the the long locks, or is it going to be like a full shave? Yeah. Usually it's a full shave, right? I feel like. It should be. I think it should yeah. be. Um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> Any more questions about the hair? Uh, yeah, there was one. Um, yeah, so this is the multiverse ace question. It says, who in wrestling history has benefited the most from a hair change? Austin became Austin with a bald head and goatee. Would he have reached the same levels with his blonde hair? So uh, can you think of any other historic examples of guys who had a haircut and then it really improved things for them? Huh, that's a good one. There was, there's a really famous um, that Joshi hair versus hair match for like the the beauty. Was the beauty pair that lost their hair? Or the crush gals? The, I think it was the crush gals, actually. Where they lose their hair, and it not just it doesn't just benefit them, but it like benefits the entire wrestling scene, because like that famous image of them crying while they're getting shaved like inspired like an entire generation of Japanese girls to to get into wrestling when they grew up, and then we had the amazing '90s uh, Joshi boom. So I don't know if a, hair, a single haircut ever uh, benefited wrestling at large more than that one. <laughs> But uh, it's another good question here from uh, Willpool who says, obviously, we're devastated at the news of the hair versus hair. This is the last hair related question, I promise. Do you feel that Despy has hit main event hair levels now? The blonde and the volume is really elevating him. Yeah, his hair is great. He's got that, got the, 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 the main event star level hair, that's for sure. 
That's it. That's that's the biggest tell uh, if if it were needed that his, this guy's going to be moving to heavyweight and <laughs> push the superstar. Pence Lumin is your early favourite for the New Japan Cup. Um, all right, Matthew says, was this the best pair of Road 2 since the glory days of the Christmas Gorokun made of attacks? The new gen- uh, no, this is my notes. I said the new generation. So uh, I thought the first night was outstanding. Second night, a bit patchy. I mean, I enjoyed the main event in the end, but I thought the, the first one was really, really brilliant stuff. And, and I think just in general, I'm really pleased with of all the complaining that I've done about the young talent not getting focused enough. It really has felt like a tour where the new generation has stepped up from like Gabe and Henare, Finlay, um, Callum Newman, just the, like the War Dogs in general, uh, and the, the Japanese guys, Shota, Ren, Yuya, Suji. It all feels like, you know, they've read the room. They've realised that we need to step up to, you know, put this company uh, back in back on the map. And um, yeah, I think there's uh, exciting times ahead. I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, all the... All the fucking bitching and moaning people did leading up to Russell Kingdom about the fucking young guys supposedly not being in big enough spots. Like, first of all, they were they were on the card in singles matches or like a big marquee tag in the case of Umino and Narita when like half the roster was in the pre-show Battle Royal because they didn't even make any attempt to put most of them on the show. So I'm like, I don't know where people got off thinking that wasn't, you know, oh, they're not in big spots. They have a spot in the card at all. Look, John, we had to fill up the podcast somehow. (laughs) 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 Well, you guys did complain a lot too, actually. So there you go. But yeah, I'm just like, they were on the card. They made it on the card at all. That's a big deal. But anyway, the other part of it is like, the moment moment wrestling team ended, they started focusing on these young guys. And, you know, they've all had a a great chance to shine. I I like the Umino Narita match more than a lot of people did too. So in the last two Corkins, so I thought that match was awesome. And you know, if I have any critique of the way they uh, structured this tour, it sort of made Ren feel like the lost boy, you know, of the of the generation right after his heel turn, which I don't love because it's like he loses that match to Umino clean at the court at Corkin, so Umino can move on to challenge Evil for the Never Title at the end of the tour. Which is a cool idea because it's like, you know, they normally have these friggin' tours where, like, you know, they do the match with Evil and Tama and Umino and Narita right at the start of the tour. And, you know, normally on these split show tours, they would just be paired up for the rest of the tour for no reason, you know, when their match already happened. It's like building to a match that already happened, basically, which sucks. And here they changed it and they were like, okay, well, now Evil and Umino are going to have a match on this tour, too along with Despy and Show having a match on this tour too. And they, you know, we have two more matches to build to in these tags. It's not just having road two tags for no reason for the rest of the tour for these guys. So that was a cool idea. The problem is they don't have anything for Narita to do. So now for the rest of the tour. So he's just kind of like in this abyss with like, you know, guys like Hanma and Yujiro and, um, you know, Makabe, like guys who don't do anything nowadays where like, you know, he's really, and Yo is another one that they're, they're, they're messed up in Osaka. Like they just don't have anything to do. So like putting Narita in that group that has nothing to do doesn't help him, especially when, you know, Umino is challenging with never title, Suji and uh, Uemura having a hair match. It's like, I would have structured the tour a little differently. So the Umino Narita thing didn't peak so early and end so early or at least give Narita something else to do with the rest of the tour too. Um, 
because yeah, it's like, like he needs he, to do something or want either Osaka or Sapporo, like whether it's attack someone after a match, like something to get himself back and up there. Yeah, because he just looks like he's completely aimless at the moment. And, you know, I, I really want to see him as a heel do something besides like stalk Shota Umino and wear a robe or whatever. It's like he needs to go like fight, uh, fight Uemura or fight Suji or fight somebody else in his generation or step up to an older heavyweight or something. But, you know, why do they never do anything with Minoru Suzuki? I mean, I guess they're not, they're barely, they're not really booking him, I guess maybe is the answer, but like he left their unit. Like he left Strong Style to join House of Torture and they barely, they apparently don't give a shit, but I'm like, just like, why did, that could have been an easy way. Like you really can't book Suzuki for Sapporo or Osaka and just have Narita beat him. Like at least that would give Narita something to do and it would close the book a little bit on that strong style, that stupid strong style. You know, they still announce Desperado as being part of, even though it's two people and one of them hasn't been on a single New Japan show uh, since the World Tag League. But I don't know. That's just my little rant on Narita. I think, like, if I was going to do say, like, really, you know, any critique for the young guys, uh, I, I just think Narita needed something to do on the back half of this tour too. But I hope he had something better to do you know, during the, uh, the upcoming season. I hope they give him, like, a big signature win in New Japan Cup that kicks off a feud or something. Because he, he needs to get away from Umino for a while and, like, get out on his own as a heel and, like, you know, be independent of Umino. You know, because right now he just feels like, here's Umino's designated rival. He beat him, so go away now, sir. We'll, we'll uh, bring you back when Umino needs to feud with you again. Just kind of sucks. So... Yeah, it's a very valid point. So I would like to see him do something in, in this, either Osaka or, or the Sapporo shows, because uh, you laid out a good case for it there. Um, let's move on to previewing New Beginning in Osaka, which will be this Sunday, February the 11th, at the Osaka Prefectural Gym, the Edion Arena. And a little it's already sold out, for... by the way. Oh, okay, yes. Well, uh, there we go. Um, we're so back. Uh, <laughs> we have the, uh, the uh, preview and predictions uh, written by... Was it you and Jay Michael wrote it on uh, correct? Correct. Me and J- me and Jay Michael wrote it. Jay Michael wrote way more words than I did. I used to think I wrote a lot no of words. No way! About, I can't believe. Yeah, it. <laughs> I used to think I wrote a lot of words about New Japan Pro Wrestling, but like then he comes along, and I'm like, okay, I I don't write that many words at all, actually, compared to this guy. He does use lots of words. I'd love to get him on this podcast at some point. <laughs> He's awesome. round table. He's would a... be good fun. Didn't he? Well, he did that episode with. Uh, with booze. Booze, once. yeah. She, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he had to be sort of drag kicking and screaming to agree to do it. Oh, but, uh, really? I'll, I'll twist his arm. I'll, I'll get him get him back on the show at some point. But It'd be uh, really cool to yeah. do an episode with him. I mean, we, we've done yeah, so many written, written previews. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I will need your help with this one because the first match, uh, Yo and Toriano versus uh, Bolton, Oleg, and Ryusuke Taguchi, I have no takes, no opinions with this one. <laughs> well, I don't know if you read my preview, but I this was where I was like, so, the, so I, I start out my paragraph with, like, um, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to write about these two tag matches where the guys have barely been on the tour and they don't, they're not doing anything at all. Like, this is not building anything. It's just there. And, of course, J. Michael had, like, ten paragraphs to write about the two. So I'm like, okay, now I look like an idiot. Because it's like, yeah, John, you're too stupid to, to have anything to say about uh, – these B-show tag matches, undercard matches aren't building anything because J. Michael had a lot to say about them. Um, I'm sure J. But... Michael put more thought into it than Ghetto did when he booked it. 
probably. Um, but yeah, there's like nothing here, right? I mean, look, the only interesting, I mean, there's nothing interesting about Yo or Taguchi. I mean, Yo, he's doing his Bugs Buddy character, and I, I don't know what the fuck like they see him in anymore. Like, because like it feels like he never, he's like never in the mix in the junior division. Like maybe when Musashi, because Musashi from Michinoku Pro is going to go, it just announced he's going to go freelancer. So maybe he's going to bring him in as a tag partner and like go for the junior tag titles. I don't know what else he, because he, he doesn't seem to have any future in the junior singles division. So, um, you know, maybe that's where they're going to go with that. And Taguchi Taguchi. I mean, he's practically a dad at this point. Yano is interesting to me just because he actually does take falls now, which is interesting. He used to, like I said earlier, he used to never take falls, and now he's become something of a lost post, which has been interesting to watch happen. And Bolton obviously is, you know, like what the fuck are we doing with this guy? He should be, he should be on excursion right now. It should be a very short excursion, just like, um, you know, just like send it to Siberia uh, to wrestle a few bears <laughs> and then come back yeah. immediately. It should be a very short excursion, just like Fujita's was. And, like, he should be back right away and, like, you know, pinning dudes in the middle of the ring. Because this guy already looks like he has it. So, um, but, yeah, this I, I assume he's going to lose here or maybe Taguchi. But he should he should start pitting guys immediately, really. The only thing I'm, I'm wondering about is Okada-related, which uh, I'm expecting at some point there to be set up some sort of chaos goodbye, chaos multi-man tag match. And I'm... Curious if Yo and Yano make the cut for that, if they are considered close enough to the sort of Okada Chaos inner circle to have that honour of being featured in, in one of his last pair of matches. And I think the second match, there's probably more to it than that. So I'm just going to skip on to that one. We've got Bishamon, Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto versus Callum Newman and Great Okan. And yeah, there's a lot of interesting possibilities here. Just my chalk pick here would be that Bishamon win and that sets them up as possibly challenging the winner of the, the tag title match later in the show. Uh, but yeah, the Callum Newman Great Okan thing is also interesting to me because I, I do this a lot where I'm, I look at a, a, an undercard tag match and think, oh, this could be an angle. So I'm thinking, oh, this could be an angle. Maybe this is something, it gives us some narrative reason why Callum Newman and or Great Okan cannot involve themselves in the cage match later on in the evening. Maybe this is the point where Great Okan is like, right, fuck it, I've had enough of United Empire and, and attacks Callum Newman and, and deserts them or something. Or maybe they just lose the match and, and nothing happens. Okay. Um, it's interesting because, you know, Bishamon haven't really been on this tour at all. I mean, I, I looked it up. Goto's been on two televised shows. Uh Oh, and I'm sorry, not that's including New Year's Dash. So go uh, on the New Beginning tour. Goto has been on one televised show, and Yoshiashi's been on two. So they really have not been on this tour. I assume they're like healing up. I know Goto in particular has been really banged up, dating back to last fall. Um, but yeah, they really haven't been doing much of anything. I assume they'll both be in the New Japan Cup as kind of fodder more than anything, probably. Uh, I don't really see either, either of them getting a big push. So yeah, it's really about Okan and Callum here. And what they are going to be doing, you know, whatever with whatever happens with United Empire after this show. And I guess we'll see if we get any kind of indication here. Our third match, Tiger Mask, Tomaki, Honma, El Desperado, Shota Umino against Yujiro, Ren, Show and Evil. Uh, not a huge amount to say here. Obviously, we're just setting the table for Despi versus Show. Uh, which is a special singles match. That's not a title match as far as I, I know. I love that. Despi has refused to give him a title shot, So Des- very good. So I, before I gave Osprey the dumbest babyface of 2024 award, and 
Desperado should win the smartest baby face of 2024 war because he actually was like, look, I don't have to give you a fucking title shot for attacking me backstage. You haven't won anything. The only thing the show has won recently was the KOPW for two seconds. And even that was because Kanemaru handed it to him, to him, you know? And it's like, he immediately lost it back to Taichi anyway. So like, he's, you know, he hasn't won anything recently. And, you know, he's like, you don't get a title shot just for beating me up backstage. I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a non-title singles match so I can beat the shit out of you for stealing my mask and beating me up backstage, but I'm not giving you a title shot. So that was great. Uh, great move by Desperado. And that's, of course, happening on, in Sapporo. Uh, I believe night one, but uh, don't quote me on that. And yeah, Evil and Evil and Umino, um, you know, that's a, that's a cool feud, too. I mean, Evil, I love Evil spray-painting the belt. What would you think of that? When he spray-painted the Never Belt with all the black uh, spray paint. I thought it was awesome. Do you think that's a vehicle to, to doing something with the Never title, like rebranding it or redesigning it or something? Oh, I just thought it was going to be like, Umino's going to win it back and then like... Oh, maybe they can redesign it. it. <laughs> He's yeah. just going to clean it. He's going to scrub it all nicely in the middle of the ring and everyone will see it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, but I could be wrong. But did you like that? I thought that was a cool angle. Yeah, sure. Why not? I, I, uh, there seems to be the dumb thing in New Japan these days with the, the heels uh, defacing and destroying title belts. So I'm into it. And then, um, like I said earlier, that's kind of where the rant came from, where you have like three jobbers here, who you know, Tiger Mask, Yujiro, and Hanma. And then, then also Narita, who has nothing to do either. So it doesn't look good for Narita, but what are you going to do? And then we have the fourth match, which is uh, the 10-man LIJ versus Just Five Guys match. We've got Bushi, Hiromu, Suji, Shingo, and Naito against Taka, Doki, Yuya, Taichi, and Sanada. I think we probably covered this one from all possible angles. So um, what do you see is the most likely outcome here? I don't know. <laughs> Do whatever it feels they like can... Sanada probably needs a win, right? <laughs> We've got uh, to give him something. That'd probably be nice, I guess. Yeah, he could pin Bushi, I guess. But I, I mean, it really doesn't matter who wins this because, you know, they have another 10-man tagging Sapporo on night one. So, you know, I don't, they, could, they could do whatever they want here, really. All right, then uh, fifth match we have Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, which feels... Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you did you bit... did you see my preview for this match in the written preview? Not yet. No. I I, I gave it two words. I gave it two. I gave it a two word preview, and I'm betting you can probably guess what those two words were. They were in fact "fuck this." That was my <laughs> my entire. Pre- I wrote it says it says right there. Okada versus Tanahashi. John, fuck this. And then my prediction was: you think Okada is actually allowed to lose this? LOL. Okay. It's like technically he's not under New Japan contract anymore, so I cannot see Tony Khan, uh, you know, letting him lose this match. But yeah, um, so I wrote two words. Jay Michael then wrote one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight paragraphs right after my two words. It might be the biggest disparity in a single match preview where I gave it two words and Jay Michael wrote eight paragraphs. But yeah, um, part of Jay Michael's paragraphs was like defending me. Which I thought was funny because I don't know. Did you see on Twitter where I just said I said something like um, it was like weeks ago now, but it was I was like I'm really over the Okada goodbye tour. I wish he would just go already. I don't I don't need to see more of it. I get that you know I even said like I I, I called myself a bitter New Japan fan. I was like that's that's the perspective I'm coming to it from, and I get that it's really for the live fans in each city to say goodbye and all that. You know, Cork in and then 
Osaka and then Nagoya and uh well Nagoya they already did and then uh Sapporo. But like I just feel like this is going on forever and I don't really care. I just want him to move the fuck on already. I'm you know, I'm over it. I'm already I made my peace with the fact that he's leaving and putting over nobody. I just want him gone. But like people got so fucking mad at me on Twitter for this take, and I had to hear from these fucking these fucking AEW stands telling me I'm anti-worker, quote unquote, because because again I didn't even say Okada. Oh, you were going to stick up for the the poor beaten down, uh, you know, he's just scraping his pennies together because he's got Okada. Yeah, yeah. He, he needs I'm to anti- be defended. The guy who owns a fucking Ferrari, it definitely, uh, you know, oh, how dare I uh, fucking. You know, say the guy who owns a Ferrari can't go make more money. I didn't even the say that. The guy who literally makes it rain money. <laughs> yes. I, first of all, I didn't even say that. I didn't even say anything about him leaving or that I'm mad at him leaving or whatever. All I said was, I'm sick of the goodbye tour and I wish it was over already. I don't need to see three more dates of it. That's it. Apparently, you're not allowed to say that anymore either because people got so angry at me for that take. And I'm just like, whatever, guys. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So... I don't know. I don't really have strong thoughts on this match. Besides, I'm sick of seeing him. I know the crowd will love him. I know they'll, you know, they're going to react for the match, and you know, I'm sure the match will be whatever. Um, I just, I don't really care. I just, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about Gabe Kid. I'm excited about Umino and Suji and Narita and all these other guys until AEW steals them too. So I just, I'm not interested in caring about. I don't really care what Okada does. He can. Make his little, do his little thing here, and go show up in Boston for big business. With uh, it's going to be something watching Okada and Monet, uh, Mercedes Monet appear on the they debut in AEW on the same night, probably like a year after, almost a year to the day after they were like doing the big New Japan pose at the end of the show together. It's like okay, their partner, <laughs> their partner, yeah. I don't yeah, know. That, I don't know. Very much like you. I, I... <laughs> I've I've run out of emotion when it comes to this. I just I'm a I don't really yeah I, I don't really like whatever you know it's a it's not in our control right I mean we don't own stock in Boosie Road or AEW or anything the, the that's the other thing that gets me is the way people talk like they own stock in AEW I'm like you're not gonna get rich if AEW is more successful so calm the fuck down it's okay. I think but, it's interesting yeah. that this match has been placed below the Chase Owens Kenta tag title. Good, show, that's so. what they deserve. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would be stunned. I would be stunned if Tanahashi wins this. So it's either a, a, an Okada win, and I don't know, more crying if they want to do crying, that's fine. Uh, or I don't know if it's going to be maybe some sort of angle to set up the two Sapporo matches. And I, it's hard for me to think who who else outside of Chaos might be involved in that because I thought, you know, uh, someone's, uh, I think it was Andrew from our Discord, thought maybe there'll be some sort of house of torture run in here that sets up. Oh, I would. I, do, you know, do you know how happy they're all they're books, they're the house? All for Sapporo, aren't they? I think they are. I would yeah. be so happy if the house, if the Okada and Tanahashi do the big teary stare down. They're, they're looking at each other and crying, and all of a sudden the lights go out. And then they come <laughs> back Togo. on, and Dick Togo's got the rope wire around Okada's neck. And then uh, Umino takes, I mean, not Umino, Narita takes that push up bar, hits him in the face. Oh, I'd be so happy. But it's not going to happen. You think Okada's going to let himself look bad on the way out? Please. <laughs> Just count how many bumps he takes on the way out. Him and Tan are going to have the big hug, and everybody's going to cry, and they're going to set up like Okada and Tana against Goto and fucking Ishii or whatever the fuck they're going to do, and everybody can uh, 
whatever. I, I, I don't care. I, I cannot stress enough that I do not give a shit. So, so I gave it two words. Because I, I, I did not really know I was going to do that two-word preview. I just sat down. I started thinking about it. I'm like, I don't really have anything else to say about this. I don't, I don't really give a shit. I'm done with this. I really have no, no, nothing else to give on this topic that I haven't already given uh, between t- Twitter and Discord and all these other places where people, like, fucking put words in your mouth if you dare say anything except, uh, I love AEW, and it's great that Okada's getting even more money. So if you say anything else, people get very, very angry. So whatever. Go, like, like you famously said, they should just get in the ring and compare each other's bank accounts. Everybody should stand up and <laughs> applaud. Applaud and cheer. Thank you, Okada, for showing us your bank account. We, we're so happy for you that you got millions of Tony Bucks. Hooray. I think Tanahashi should pull out a knife and stab. <laughs> there you go. Um, would, uh, another match I don't care about is well, the he, he knows what Tag like Team Championship match. <laughs> I was going to say, Tana knows what that's like. Yes, they were, exactly. <laughs> bring, finish the story, Tana. <laughs> yeah, this match is fucking stupid because, like we said earlier, like why they refuse. They have so many chances. There's another chance they had to unify these two redundant sets of tag team titles. Look, I think some most of the time when people say New Japan has too many belts, they're kind of over-exaggerating. Most of their belts serve an actual purpose. But, like, they do not need the IWGP tag team titles and the strong openweight tag team titles. There's no reason for the strong belts to exist. They don't run enough shows in America anymore to justify an American set of tag titles. It's just a second set of tag titles for no reason. We already have the junior tag titles, which actually does have a reason to exist. So do not like they, these belts should have been unified immediately after Wrestle Kingdom. They haven't done it, so I can only assume that ELP and Hikaleo are going to lose the fucking IWGP tag titles here at Chase and Kenta and continue on as strong tag champions because whatever. I guess we got to keep these two fucking sets of tag titles going, which is so fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, this is what I have heard that Chase Owens and Kenta. Probably going to win here, and I guess Bishop will be the next challenges. But um, that's stinky. I don't like it, and I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I'll tell you what I will say. Um, Kenta's backstage promos where he was waiting for Chase Owens to leave before kissing the fatty camera, and that was more compelling than any of the build to this match. So, well done, Kenta. At least he's got that going for him. Uh, right, seventh match is a special singles match. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson. Zach's got to win this. Like this has Finally. to be his year. He needs to be have the the rocket strap put on him all the way. Give him a, a run with the world title, and it starts here. I think he's he's got to beat Brian Danielson. And I'll, I know I'm kind of deep in the weeds with this uh, sort of New Japan AW tribalism, and I may just be sort of setting myself up for failure here. But I will be quite quite annoyed if uh, if Zach loses this one. I mean, this is like the first match on the show, I feel like, where you're just like, okay, this is going to be really good, probably with no, no like, uh, caveats or, you know. I mean, there's, there's basically a two-match show, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um, but the two matches look really, really good. And this is one of the two that look really, really good. I mean, their match at, at uh, Wrestle Dream last year in AW was fantastic. Um, I had an eighth on my match of the year list. It, was, it finished, I think, fifth on the final voice of wrestling match of the year list. Do you submit to that, by the way? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I did, but I just put all New Japan matches on my... I almost, I almost did. I almost did, too. Uh, what did you put as your top, your match of the year? I can't, I'm just curious. Uh, it, the same as everyone else. Uh, oh, Omega. 
Okay. Um, Osprey from yeah, Osprey. I I did too. So yeah, it's not nothing to be ashamed of there. What was like second, third? Do you remember? Second, I went. I think I did G one final. No, I told Carter. I had uh, Watto Titan, best of Super Juniors. Oh, okay. So those both were my top five tiers. So there you go. You're a man of culture. I think I had like Naito Okada 2, Naito Osprey 3, and then Watto Titan 4. So man, it was a good year for those, for high end New Japan matches. Yeah. Um, uh, I would interject to say, listeners, I have tabulated <laughs> finally the results for a year end awards <laughs> oh. I'm not going to do them this week. I don't know when I'll do them. Just at some point, I'll just throw them out there when, when uh, interest in them has completely. Uh, eroded to zero but, uh, they, they are ready <laughs> there you go um but yeah back to this match danielson saber um you know it's kind of like that this is like the good and the bad of the of the partnership right besides the very bad of them stealing the wrestlers but like the good and the bad the good is you get to see brian danielson in an environment that he clearly loves performing in i mean he i i, I don't know if you heard my audio of um, wrestling during the uh, omakase where i was talking about how they played this Danielson Okada video before the Wrestle Kingdom match. And I'm sitting there with Nicole. And obviously, Nicole, my my partner, she's not like a wrestling fan. She doesn't know, you know, she doesn't really know, know anything about this stuff besides what I tell her. But we're sitting there and watching this video. And Danielson starts talking about how the only place I ever wanted to wrestle in was New Japan. New Japan is the most important thing to me. I'm going to tell my grandkids about this. Like, he's putting this over so much. And Nicole, like, turns to me and she's like, A.W. let him say this shit? And I was like, I, I don't know. I guess they did. Because, like, he's putting over New Japan to such a degree that it sounds like he's almost more into wrestling there than A.W. Like, if they – he might as well have been like, if New Japan and A.W. offered me to save money, I would be in New Japan in a heartbeat. Like, that's basically what, he, what it came off like. But, like, so he gets to come and wrestle in this environment where, you know, he's allowed to excel – it's not TV wrestling. He could he could do like a wrestle in front of a different kind of crowd too than an American crowd. So that is obviously the good. The bad is this match has no fucking build at all. Like this match feels so much colder than it should be because they haven't interacted on this tour at all. I keep forgetting yeah. that this match. I scroll down. I'm like, oh yes. wow, it's on this show. Because <laughs> Zach can talk about it. Danielson for some reason isn't even allowed to talk about it on AEW TV. So, like, he's doing this all this stuff with the CMLL guys in AWTV. You, as you just watched AEW, you'd have no idea this match was happening. I've had, like, three different people, like, between, like, Voice Wrestling Slack and some other places ask, like, ask me because they know that I'll know. Like, when is Zach and Danielson happening? Like, people have no clue. So, you know, it's, it is – that part of it sucks. It's like, can't they – like, they really can't let Danielson go on, go on fucking collision and talk about this match or something so people know what's happening? Like – you can't do that for New Japan there, partner. I don't know. It's really, it's really, it really does suck. Like, they can't let Zach, they can't let Danielson put this match over at all. And the fact that he hasn't put it over even one teeny bit makes me think two things. One, they're not that interested in Zach, which, you know, I mean, because if they're interested in Zach, they'd probably be trying to, like, you know, put him, peel him into the AEW frame more. And two, they, um, you know, Danielson probably is losing this match, which is probably another reason why they don't want to put... They don't want anyone to see yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want anyone to see it. But, you know, obviously I, may, I might be reading too much into things there, but that's just honestly what I think. Well, um, look, well after seeing Tony Khan's tweets after the Rossi Ogawa situation, 
I don't think anyone can deny that he's a, a, a petty, petty man. So it wouldn't shock me. Um, but yeah, so that's that's just my theory. And then like, this is going to be great though. I mean, they'll get to wrestle in front of a Japanese crowd. Zach probably was exaggerating a little bit when he said, uh, he once said that performing technical wrestling in front of a US audience is like reading Shakespeare to a dog. But he's not entirely wrong either. I mean, it's not, it's not most American crowds especially AEW crowds, like favorite form of wrestling. Um, the last time around too, they did like this finish that really left things open-ended, you know, with they, they had the, the big, the big feud over who's the best technical wrestler and then dance and just knocks him out with the Bushiaku knee kick. So it's like Zach pointed out afterwards, like that didn't, you know, you, you knocked me out and pinned me. You didn't tap me out. So that, that was a good finish to set up the rematch. Um, I think it would be cool if Zach won this by pin because then, you know, he kind of looks a little bit like a hypocrite and he it sets up a third match that you can still do. But yeah, he could get the pin here with either like a wacky cradle or I would prefer with the Zack Driver. Count out. Hit him. <laughs> I want to count out. No, <laughs> no count out one. With the Zach, I want him to pin with the Zack Driver. That's what I want. And then it leaves open-ended, you know, who the best technical wrestler is. And you could do a third match, you know, maybe even an all-in or whatever. Um, but yeah, this should be fantastic. I mean, these are two of the best... These are two of the best wrestlers. I don't know, best overall, right? Nah, I think they're two of the best wrestlers ever. I think they are. I mean, I think most people would agree with Danielson. Zach, I think some people might disagree, but I, I do think he's like one of the best ever to do this. Certainly one of the best technical wrestlers to ever do this, but I just probably think one of the best ever to do it. So, period. Yeah, with such a unique style as well. Yeah, can't, can't yeah. wait for this one. And I hope this is launching, this is the launching platform for Zach having a. A really great 2024 because he's a guy that definitely should be stepping up this year and a guy I think should be elevated into the, the main event scene. So uh, very much looking forward to that. So that brings us on to the main event, steel cage match, no time limit. So this is going to be uh, starting off one versus one. So we get a new member coming in every two minutes until all 10 mm-hmm. men are in. Then it's a uh, pin or submission. So uh, as you mentioned, John, so Finley requested that Osprey start opposite him and says that... Um, Bullet Club are going to start off with the, the two on one advantage. So because Osprey um, gave him the right to do that, yes, like a complete did, idiot. Osprey's a, a, an idiot. <laughs> we know this. This is not a secret. Osprey would not deny that. But uh, well, one thing I found interesting reading the preview on the website: the, the website preview says Cobb, Henare, and Akira that they're all been declared part of the lineup as planned. It, it's acknowledged their injuries. It says despite their injuries, they're all going to be in the match. So. Uh, I don't know if they've sort of kayfaved it. As the Jeff Cobb one was the one where I was thinking, huh, you know, is he going to get pulled from this match? But according to the website, it's it's acknowledged that he's c- carrying an injury, but says that he's still going to be taking part. But I just think that and we talked about it earlier. I think the build to this has been outstanding. They've done a really fantastic job just tying so many different threads and, and layers of drama into this one where, you know, we've got the, the junior tag feud situation. We've got Driller Maloney and his, his bicep injury. We've got, you know, Gabe and Hanare tearing chunks out of each other. Uh, we've got the, the um, TJP situation where everyone's looking at him thinking, is he going to do something? Is he going to turn on someone? Uh, I've said before that Akira, I think he's like the heart and soul of this feud at the moment where he, he's garnered a lot of really good babyface sympathy where he said, look, he, he just wanted to, be the best junior tag team in the world. And he says that, like, that crown's gone now. So he's got nothing left to fight for. He didn't, he didn't sign up for any of this stuff. And so we've all got, got all these different layers. And this is somehow, people have stopped talking about the fact this is Will Ospreay's, ostensibly his last match in New Japan. So the fact that Ospreay's, I won't say an afterthought, but not front and centre. This is not like, oh, it's Ospreay's last match. Everyone <laughs> cry about it. 
is is brilliant and a credit to everyone involved that it, it just they've, they've set the table for this and it feels like you know united empire is this i don't know house of cards or something and probably osprey something will happen to him or involving him that's it feels like that will put out that piece at the bottom and the whole thing comes tumbling down and you, you kind of feel that if if we end up the closing of this match is that, oh, United Empire are fine and they're going to carry on and they'll be all right. That would kind of be a disappointment. It feels like the whole thing needs to just blow up and, and start from scratch. But I, I can't wait for this match. This is going to be brilliant. They, there's so many great wrestlers and, and nutty wrestlers involved that there's going to be some absolutely crazy shit happening. Uh, and of course, again, like I say, we just keep forgetting that Will Ospreay is going to be in this match because he's been so, so uh, like not really involved in the build to it at all. He's obviously not been in Japan. That uh, That's just a, another added layer of that. So just fantastically built all round. And, and I can't wait for this one. Yeah, I think you got to give Osprey credit for what you just said because he's leaving the company. He didn't have to play ball. I mean, we've seen another example of a guy leaving the company who didn't fucking play ball, uh, you know, who we just talked about. And like Osprey, you know, for whatever other faults he has, I'm not going to down trying to downplay anything else involving Will Osprey. God knows it's their stuff. But like he he played ball on his way out of this company. He made this final match he could have requested, oh, well, my last match, I want to have uh, me versus Callum Newman, and everybody cries, and we all say goodbye, and goodbye, Osprey. He made it into a fucking blood feud. He put the focus on his teammates, uh, you know, by not even appearing in most of his tour. And, you know, he, he really, like, he did something with his last match that actually feels, you know, useful besides, to New Japan for wrestling. You know, unlike what I think we're all expecting from Okada. So, you know, it's like that he deserves some credit for that. I mean, he made this about his unit. He clearly cares deeply about, the, you know, the United Empire and also the wrestlers that were in it with him. And, you know, I think he, he did something good here. So I gotta, I got one. Sorry, not just about his unit, but also about Bullet Club. Like this is, it feels yeah. like they're front and center of this as well. So, I, yeah. you know, both sides are getting tremendous uh, rub and heat from this. Yeah. So I think he's, I think he deserves credit for that. Um, the other thing I will say about, um, you know, about the match in general, because you really covered it pretty well, but like just the fact that they've done such a great blood feud here. And just really put things over as like, you know, this, this feud between these two sides that just feel so diametrically opposed to each other. They just feel like they have different philosophies, you know, which is always tough to like LIJ and just five guys are doing a few right now. It's, it's tough to feel like they're, these are two diametrically opposed units. And I get that they're not really going for a blood feud or anything with that, but like, they don't even really feel like they're that different. It feels like, you know, maybe just because Sonata came from LIJ, it just doesn't feel like these are two super different units, like really having a clash of styles or whatever. These two units face each other could not feel more different from each other. Even though when United Empire started, I think a lot of people looked at it as kind of similar to Bullet Club, where it's like, oh, another unit of foreigners, where they really like, they managed to carve out their own niche in the company, become very popular. Like, I don't know if people, sometimes I feel like Western fans don't even realize just how popular United Empire became in Japan. Like they, just the, the amount of merch they have in the crowd and stuff is really, really high. I mean, they, they became a very popular unit. Um, but yeah, I mean like they, you know, they're, they carved out their own niche of being this unit full of foreigners without really, um, 
you know, doing the Bullet Club thing at all, which I thought oh, was can cool. Can I just chip in and say, in our year end awards, uh, they came second in the favorite faction poll, huh? which what was, was, what was first? Uh, Lij. Oh, they always win, right? And so, third, TNTK. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they they've been good. Um, but yeah, so like they they they're very popular. They they've done they've done the role well, and they did all this during COVID too, which is like you know clap crowds for most of the run, which is even more impressive. So, you know, give them their flowers. They they if they're going to end, they've been a hell of a unit, and um, this is. I, I just hope they do the right thing here and have the War Dogs win. I hope they don't decide at the end here that, you know, to to have United Empire win and give Osprey the big teary goodbye because I feel like that would be the wrong move. Like, the War Dogs should win this. Yeah, totally agree. I, I think I, I do not want the same thing to happen to United Empire that's happening with Bullet Club in as much as we're getting, you know, the black and gold or whatever it is, Bullet Club gold happen in AEW. I don't want to see like the AEW version of United Empire with Osprey and, and Aussie Open or whatever. So I think kill it now. Well, I don't They've think you run. I don't think you have to worry about that anyway because they put like the other United Empire, the other Aussie Open guy is injured again and Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher, they kind of like, for a while he still had the United Empire logo and everything, but they kind of, they put him with Don Callis and now he has like these red tights and he's running our TV champ. I just feel like they went in a totally different direction with them. So I don't know. I feel like, well, I feel that's, like that's, it, that's reassuring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's just been built up to the point where, like, I genuinely worried someone's going to get really badly hurt in this. Like, it was like someone might die in this match. Like, God forbid. I, I, I talk in jest, but just that's that's the level it's been escalated to. So, yeah, it feels like this should be basically Bullet Club destroying United Empire completely, and then some other stuff can can grow from the ashes there. But uh, yeah, tremendously excited for uh, for. This this match, I mean, yeah, like you said, the, the show in general, it's a two two match show, but uh, this main event feels like it, it should have match of the year ceiling on it. Do you want to talk about, by the way, because I, I don't know why I just thought of this, but like we we're talking about, I mean, completely different topics. So it's okay if you want to cut me off and talk more about Osaka, but I just thought of this. We were talking about the young wrestlers in New Japan, right, and how they've been focused on during this tour. Have you looked up what Kaido Kiyomi is doing in Noah right now? <laughs> no, go on. So he is uh, on the on their big show from Sunday, where uh, where Kano lost the GHC title to El Hio de Wagner Jr. He was fifth from the top uh, in a tag match with Rihoe Oiwa, defeating Yoshinari Ogawa and Yu Owada. He's feuding with Ogawa, who is a very people don't know who Ogawa is. He's very very old. Uh, just an old man. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, he's always kind of, like, floated between junior and heavyweight. I mean, that's what Kaito is doing. He's in an undercard feud with Ogawa. So, surely, they know he's on his way out. He's joining <laughs> New Japan. So, they just sort of shuffled him away in the undercard. I'm sort of... I mean, you joke. I kind of don't... I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder if they're just, like, waiting for this guy oh, to leave. He should do the evasion during the um, Okada-Tanahashi match. <laughs> a, a complete shoot just come in just, just start yeah, laying I, into Okada I kind of wonder if they're waiting for this guy's contract to be up. I don't know anything about Noah contracts and when they're up so I have no clue But oh like, God, I, imagine I, if they do it imagine if they actually do that uh, if Kiyomiya comes so out and one, and one of the Sapporo matches is Okada laying down for Kiyomiya who then joins New Japan I, I would forgive everything if they did that yeah that would be amazing but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with Kaito. It's just it's what I looked at because this this popped up in my feed. And I'm just like, what is Kaito doing? He's facing Ogawa. <laughs> I was like, 
Okay. That's uh, interesting. Well, uh, that is uh, all I have to say about New Beginning Osaka. So, uh, John, thank you so much for stepping in. Uh, it's been great chatting to you. Any plug-a-roos you want to get in here before we say that? Uh, I mean, like, if you want to read about New Beginning Osaka, read all the stuff I just said out loud. You can do that on thevoiceofwrestling.com. That preview just went up today. Um, if you want to hear Wrestling Omakase, we just did an episode a month ago, which is, you know, <laughs> better than like we eight just, months ago. We just did one. Yeah. Just did one a month ago, but that was uh, live from Japan, where I appeared with the famous, the world famous Bebbler, and uh, also with uh, Paul from the Emerald Flow Show on this very network. Um, so yeah, we did that from from Japan after Wrestle Kingdom, and you know had a good time. Uh, I, I miss Japan so bad. <laughs> I, mean, I know I'm a yeah, weeaboo and all that, but like, oh my god, the N- Nicole mentioned to me yesterday. I asked her today, like, how much she missed, like, fam- family cheeky, which are, like, those, uh, the family yeah. chicken, like, boneless chicken for people who have never been to Japan. It's, like, they, the, the, just, like, the sheer, like, two, like, the sheer amount of, like, amazing food and drink you can get in a convenience store there for, like, 200 yen is so crazy. I That's miss, the one I miss thing the where, vending machine, like, the drinks vending machines. Yeah. Getting, like, a little hot can of, like, onion soup. I miss it's, shit like that. It's so crazy. I don't, I don't know what they're doing with food and drink that everyone else is not doing, but it's so weird how cheap it all is and how good it all is. Um, but yeah, so you can listen to me on that. Also, I was on the uh, this, uh, the Draft podcast, which I thought was on the Voice Wrestling Network, but isn't. But it's just it's hosted by Griffin and Sean, who are Voice Wrestling contributors. So I don't know why it's not on the network. But yeah, you can find that uh, on Spotify, I think, if you look for the Draft. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I, I listened to that. That was the Wrestle Kingdom episode, right? Oh, you did. Oh, you listened to it. Cool. That is, yeah. Yeah, I won. I won the poll. So oh, nice. I, was, uh, I, I also uh, won mine. So I get. We should be going through to some sort of <laughs> champions round. <in> exactly. <laughs> well, you got to bother Griffin and tell him one champion draft. I mean, look, that was like people don't know that was like a Wrestle Kingdom participant uh, draft. So anyone who was on any Wrestle Kingdom, and I was up against Sean and Griffin. Griffin decided to go in a really bizarre. <laughs> He's the highlight of these draft episodes because he always yeah. does some like nutty thing, and it's usually related to TNA. <laughs> yeah, he did a really bizarre TNA. Um, you know, I had never listened to the show, so I didn't know he was doing that. I didn't know that was a regular thing for him. But yeah, he did a really bizarre TNA. Um, you know, TN like basically took all the TNA guys. He put Okada against Kevin Nash, like second from the bottom, which was awesome. I applauded that. But yeah, so he, he only dra- that is good booking. But- he only drafted TNA guys though. So that made it like very easy for me to draft whoever I wanted. And, you know, it's pretty much just, it was basically just me versus Sean. Uh, and I did put, I, I do think I put together a better card than Sean. So I have to say Sean, God bless Sean. He's a great guy, but I did like my, uh, most people seem to agree. Well, not not everyone thinks he's a great guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Down that road. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. But yeah. Um, so I th- let me see what the final percentage. Right? I know I have like fifty percent. I think at least. So I'm bragging about this thing. Most people are probably I love it. never. You're, t- you're taking the end of this podcast episode to take a victory. Yeah. Sixty, sixty-four, sixty-four percent. That is a final result. Yeah. That's a destruction. Everybody, everybody loved me. So they loved my card when I had a. I did Naito Nakamura as the main. So like you know, of course I'm gonna win. Please. But yeah, uh, so you can listen to that too. Hear my hear my uh, hear my landslide victory on the draft, and I guess uh, I don't know. 
Follow me on Twitter. I never get my Twitter handle though, so look for me. You'll find me. I'm on yeah, there. Just look, look check, through. Check, look, check through Tony Khan's. <laughs> <laughs> look through Tony Khan's replies, and you'll find me. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. All right. Thank you again, John. Uh, you can go to redcircle.com forward slash show forward slash super dash J dash cast if you want to uh, throw some money our way. And if you uh, send me proof of purchase, I, I may even let you in the Discord. I might even let you in the deli. So there you go. Just dangling that in, in front of you. Uh, at Cobra Kawaii and ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash super J cast for our t shirts. Big thank you to editor Dan, who is on Twitter at LousyHero219. Follow us on Twitter at SuperJCast. Thanks everyone for listening. And goodbye. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.